I don't know if you've heard the story of Aaron Rolston. Um, This is a true story. This guy is a mountaineer um, and he goes up hiking by himself in the mountains of Utah, stupidly does not tell anyone where he's going. And during the hike, he slips and he falls and his arm gets trapped under this ginormous boulder. Um, So he's in between two cliffs and he gets squashed between the side of the cliff and the boulder. And so it is pinned there. It's not coming out. He gets trapped there for days, he runs out of food, he runs out of water and finally he gets to the point where he realises that for him to get out of there, he's got to lose the arm. Now the only thing he has with him to help him do that is this blunt pocket knife Um, And the knife isn't sharp enough to cut through his bone. So he has to like snap his own bone and then use the pocket knife to cut through the rest of the flesh on his arm. Um, That is a desperate situation that you'd have to be in to take that kind of action. I heard that story, true story, when I was in year six and it made made me feel sick. But that is the visual of the passage in the Bible we read tonight. Um, Did you notice verse 8 and 9 there? That's the kind of extreme action that Jesus is talking about. Cutting off your arm, gouging out your eye. How could Jesus say that? Well, because, and this is heavy, what's at stake is the eternal fire of hell. This is big stuff we're talking about tonight. We're talking about how you avoid the fires of hell. It raises the question, what does, what does it mean that we have to cut off our arm? What does that have to do with it? We're going to work our way back to that question. Uh, let me pray before we do that. Father God, we pray that as we come to your word tonight, that you would help us to listen, that you would help us to understand, that we'd see the world the way that you see the world. And we pray that you'd be at work to change our hearts. Amen. So we're going to work back towards those big questions because they actually come on the back of a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Uh, Take a look at verse 1. That's where it starts. Verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So disciples come with this question, who is the greatest? And it's not 100% clear why they ask it, but one of the reasons could be that Peter has been a bit of a hit in the past few chapters. Um, He's the first one to figure out who Jesus is, the Messiah, and Jesus has given him a nickname, The Rock, uh, which is pretty good. Um, Peter hasn't always been nailing it though. He's tried telling off Jesus. He tried telling Jesus what he should and shouldn't do. In the middle of getting it right, Peter has also got it pretty wrong. So it's possible the disciples are looking on and they're like, hey, the position of Jesus' right-hand man is still up for grabs. And they're getting excited because Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised king and his influence is growing. Uh, And so they're like, Jesus, in this new kingdom that you're bringing, in the kingdom of heaven, how do you get to be great? We'll look at how Jesus answers. Verse 2. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. 
Now, Jesus is going to use this child as an illustration to answer the question, but it's very easy for us to miss the point he's about to make because we forget that children in Jesus' day were not Instagrammable. Um, Let me tell you about the natural progression of your Instagram feed for the next 10 years. At the moment, it's probably full of a bunch of selfies and like posed, candid shots of you and your friends with like lyrics or random quotes or emojis underneath or people doing like crazy dangerous things. Um, That changes to slightly better photos of you and your friends and posed candids as people get more money to go nicer places and they get their cars so they can actually drive themselves places, then that changes to wedding photos. And oh my goodness, the wedding photos just keep on coming. It's like people pay so much for their wedding photographer, they're like, we've got to use these for the next 15 years, keep on bringing them out. And then it changes to the baby photos. Oh, the baby photos. Now, if you think some of your friends post too regularly now, just you wait until they have offspring. Um, Dressed up, matching mum, with like artsy wooden signs next to them celebrating every single month of their life, Uh, in the cot, on the floor, in the pram, on the grass, eating, sleeping, waving, crying. There are so many baby photos. And that means that we think child and we think small and cute, lovable, important. The world revolves around them. That view of children is very different to how children were seen in the ancient times. Their view is much more in line with the saying of 70 years ago that children should be seen and not heard. And so when Jesus gets a child and he puts him in the middle of the disciples, we're supposed to think insignificant, bottom of the social ladder, unimportant, lowest of the low. And so with a small, unimpressive child in front of him, look what Jesus says about their question. Verse 3. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, The path of life in the kingdom of heaven isn't one of prestige and power, of being great and impressive. The path of heaven is actually one of humility, being the lowest of the low. But did you notice something strange that happened when he started his answer in verse 3? He actually doesn't start by answering their question. He actually answers something completely different. Their question is, how do I become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But he answers, look at verse 3, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never even enter the kingdom of heaven. His answer is about how you enter the kingdom, how you get into the kingdom of heaven. They're asking, how do you get to the top of the kingdom? Jesus says, who cares whether you have the top spot or not? You might not even be there. When you consider everything that Jesus has been doing and saying up till this point, I feel like this is a moment for Jesus where it's like when you realize one of your best friends has not been listening to a word that you say. Like you've been pouring out your heart to them or been talking to them really excitedly about something that you're really interested in and then you realize they weren't listening to any of it. 
Because Jesus has been repeating over and over that his path will take him to the cross. And that the path of anyone who wants to be in heaven with him too will mean taking up their cross and suffering with him. And after all of that, we get the disciples here and they're like, hey, Jesus, how do we make sure we're the greatest? It's just like a moment where you're like, disciples, have you even been listening? And Jesus tells them, unless you change, you won't even be in the kingdom. I think it's very easy for us to be people whose priority in life is greatness. It's very easy for us to live on the path chasing what the rest of the world does. We want to be respected. We want to be accepted and loved and have the most successful and prestigious and happy looking life. But Jesus says, unless you change and walk my path, unless you become lowly like a child, you won't be in the kingdom of heaven. The Christian life isn't one of greatness the way the rest of the world sees greatness. The Christian life is one of turning to Jesus, following him humbly and dependently, looking to him for forgiveness and going the path of the cross. Following him even when it means the rest of the world will be looking down on you. If you're living on the path of heaven, you will look like a loser to the people at your school. Your obedience to God in the way that you spend your money, in the plans that you make about your future, in the way you speak about Jesus in all the time that you spend at church, it will not look impressive to the world. That's the life you're signing up for as a Christian, to be seen as a loser by most people for the rest of your life. When you put it that way, it doesn't sound too great, right? But ironically, that is where true greatness is found. Remember what we read, look in verse 4. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In this life, Christians will be seen as the low of the low, but there is an eternal life to come where the roles will be reversed. And in that life, the life that truly matters, Jesus will be revealed in all his glory and his people will be there with him in glorious paradise. As we walk that unimpressive life here and now, we do it knowing that one day our king will come. And any suffering, any ridicule that we go through in this life will be more than worth it to be part of his kingdom. So Jesus continues the conversation with two serious warnings. Warning one, the serious danger of taking anyone else off the path of heaven. Take a look at verse six. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So Jesus is talking about the little ones here. Who are the little ones? Well, he explains it for us. The little ones are those who believe in him, Christians. So this 
is a terrible, terrible warning for anyone who mistreats, ridicules, or tempts Christians off the path of heaven. Look at the imagery he uses. It's terrible. It would be better for them to have a large millstone, this massive heavy stone tied around their necks and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Christians will be lowly and will be suffering and humiliated in this life. That's the path of heaven. But Jesus cares about that suffering deeply. And he says, if anyone treats Christians in such a way that they stumble on the path of heaven, if anyone causes them to stop walking the way of the cross and tempts them to sin and chase after what the world sees as greatness, it will go very badly for that person. Why is this warning so serious? Why use such awful imagery? Because God's people are very precious to him. Jesus goes on just after this passage and he describes God's care for his people as like a shepherd looking after a flock of sheep. A shepherd who cares so much about each individual sheep that if just one of them goes missing, he'll go off and search for that one. God's people are precious to him. And so it will not go well for anyone who mistreats them or tempts them away from following him. This warning is so terrible that I think it's worth every single one of us asking, how do I treat Christians? How do I treat the Christians that seem like losers to me? If you're someone who teases, looks down on, excludes Christians because they're living on the path of heaven, this is a serious warning. If you're not a Christian and you do that, This is a serious warning of God to you about how precious his people are. If you are a Christian and you do that, if you look down on some people for being so weirdly Christian, this is a serious warning. If you talk about people behind their back and exclude them for being so into how they follow Jesus, being weird about that, if your treatment of them tempts them to live more in line with how the world sees greatness, this language tells us there's not much that God hates more. How are you treating the people of God who are precious to him? That's huge. But none of us are off the hook with these warnings because the second warning is the serious danger of taking yourself off the path of heaven. Have a look at verse 8. Here's where we finally work our way back to that first question. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Staying on the path to heaven is so serious that anything in your life that would take you off that path is worth getting rid of. Do you see what's at stake? The eternal fire of hell. The only hope 
that any of us have of escaping hell is because of the path that Jesus walked. Jesus came into the world to walk the path of dying on the cross because we needed forgiveness. We haven't treated God right and so we won't be accepted into his kingdom unless our sin is paid for and we're forgiven. And that is why Jesus went the path of the cross to die in our place. So when we talk about staying on the path of heaven, we actually need to be really clear. We don't get to heaven because of anything that we do. We get to heaven by being the little ones who believe in Jesus, who come to him and trust him for forgiveness. But we're only safe as long as we stay with him. And so if you let anything in your life remain that's tempting you to stop following Jesus, you're making a serious mistake because you're clearly only thinking as far as comfort and greatness now in this life. You're not patiently waiting for the life to come. I don't know about you guys, but I actually do hate waiting for stuff. Um, I think we've actually all got really bad at waiting for stuff. And um, a big example for me is how shopping works now. Um, If I want something, I don't need to wait until I can go out to the shops, wait until they order something in for me. I can just go online on my phone right that second and order it. I'm not sure if we're this fancy in Australia yet, but you know, in America, you can actually set up this system where if you're missing something at home, like chocolate or toilet paper or cans of Coke, you can press a button in your house and within two hours, it will be delivered to your door. That is crazy. And I think that's why we've become very bad at waiting for things which is why I think it's so important that we hear this warning from Jesus because we try and remove all of the immediate suffering in our life now. We're not good at doing the no pain, no gain thing. Jesus says it's so important that we learn to be patient. It's better to suffer a little bit now than to suffer terribly for eternity. The fact that hell is real and eternal and terrible and worth doing anything you can to avoid is so clear in how extreme his examples are. Better to cut off your hand, better to gouge out your eye. It's better to go through life disabled and maimed because that's nothing compared to the eternal fire of hell. So get rid of anything in your life that pulls you away from following Jesus. I was trying to think of examples in my own life of um, things I've given up to follow Jesus that have been painful. What arms or eyes have I gouged out of my life? And actually, the examples I came up with were pretty small. Um, I've given up watching as many different shows on Netflix. I've given up some time hanging out with people who I don't like as much as other people. But I haven't really given up very much. I mean, those couple of things are good things to do, but they're so far away from the level of sacrifice that this passage is talking about. Jesus makes the comparison to cutting off your arm. I feel like when explaining this passage sometimes, preachers feel like they have to stop and say, now Jesus doesn't literally mean cutting off your arm. But I don't know why they would think they need to warn us about that 
when we can't even cut off our phones when they're tempting us to sin. We need to have a much more serious view of anything in our life that's taking us off the path of following Jesus. We're saved completely by Jesus dying in our place. Our actions aren't what save us, but we're only safe while we stay with him. So what things are in your life that are dangerously distracting you away from Jesus? What things might take your time and energy and love away from him bit by bit so that you think about him less? What things are tempting you to wander from the path? Do you need to cut out some friendships? Are you spending so much time with people who act and speak like Jesus doesn't matter that you can actually feel yourself becoming like them? Friends might be taking you off the path of following Jesus. Do you need to cut off social media? If you find yourself caring more and more about what other people think of you rather than what God thinks of you, or if you spend your whole life keeping so busy on so many different apps that you never have a chance to think deeply about life, then social media might be something that's taking you off the path of following Jesus. Do you need to be prepared to cut off a potential relationship that you know won't help you prioritise Jesus? Do you need to cut off particular books or games or TV shows or movies because they make you want a type of life that isn't following Jesus? What do you need to cut off or gouge out of your life so that you stay on the path of heaven? The warnings for anyone, even ourselves, who would take us off the path are so terrible and serious. It is a hard path to live this life, our path of suffering and humbling ourselves to become low. But it is the path that leads to glory and paradise with our King in heaven eternally. So whatever you have to do, whatever you have to lose in this life is more than worth it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus, who is the ultimate example of someone who made himself low so that he could come and save us by coming into the world as a man and dying on the cross. And so he is also our true example of greatness. And we thank you so much for what you've done uh, for us through him. We ask that we would be like him, that we would Uh, take on the path that means we're going to be low and humble and suffering. We pray that you'd help us keep our eyes fixed on heaven, where one day we will be with you and we'll see that that life of humility is a path to true greatness in heaven. We ask that you would keep us on the path of following Jesus. We ask that you'd help us to take that seriously and take it seriously for each other, that we never do something that would cause someone else to stop following Jesus. We ask for your help, that you would help us make it through this life, clinging to Jesus, so that we'll see you in eternity. Amen.